Good morning, coffee drinkers. That is Michael Brecker. That is live at the Mont- Montreal Jazz Festival in Montreal, Canada. It says here June 28, 2001. Hardcore on my playlist today. I figured I would share some of it with you because the playing is burning. today, I suggest it be the uh, opening break of his solo. Ralph Peterson on drums as well, I'm not sure. Doesn't sound like Tang. But like so many of the bootlegs, in the in the collection here in the archive they are they are long we're talking about 10 12 minute versions of songs i wonder if uh joey is super burning on here i'm i don't doubt it
such great time. So even if I, I wasn't transcribing the exact notes of his solo, I, just being immersed in that time feel is such a huge lesson. Learning about what a triplet is and how to make eighth notes swing. for a second there to get a fresh LaCroix. Oh yeah. Passion fruit today. So that would be that would have been, that is the kind of thing, but that was definitely the kind of thing I would um, immerse myself in as a young musician, um, trying to figure figure shit out and and get better and, and learn as much as I could. I would surround myself or immerse myself in bootlegs like that and just go into live shows if I could possibly catch those, like that caliber of musician live, that was that was huge. Um, so I was always always a fan of going to, going to check those people out uh, in person, but yeah, anything I could get my hands on in the bootleg vein was, was, you know, just complete immersion in it. Just in a, like I said, just in a time feel is, is enough sometimes. Um, now check it out. I did this whole thing earlier on with my buddy, Gabriel Santiago. Uh, we got him in on Skype, finally figured out how to get the audio into the computer. We even thought we'd got over some glitches and doing kind of an interview live interview he's in texas i'm here in california and when i listened back to it afterwards we rewrapped for about 30 40 minutes and um oh the bubbles <laughs> uh and it totally didn't didn't work unfortunately we're still not still not there yet in terms of the remote um remote recording and having people on the podcast as guests like that so unfortunately i had to can that sorry gabe um I still highly recommend you go check out his YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com forward slash Gabriel Santiago. Um, he is a great guitar player, as I'm sure many of you know. We've been working together for quite some time. We do have a little EP in the can that is uh, waiting to be waiting to be finished. A few, a couple of overdubs and uh, a quick mix and a master, and we shall put that out somehow. Um, and we'll get together. We have like me and 
Gabriel and uh, my, my buddy Justin Vasquez, a kind of a crew of music discussers, shall we say, that's, that's putting it politically correctly, I guess. We, we basically talk shit about music all the time, and uh, it, it, it can be quite interesting to listen in on sometimes. We, we, we kind of get to some stuff. Sometimes it's just bullshit, but sometimes we really get to some stuff. Uh, so we will endeavor to do that at some point. Uh, what I did do earlier on, as many of you reached out and uh, saw and then reached out um, as a result of, is I posted on Instagram, hey, ask me some questions for the podcast. So I'm going to try and write you guys. Wow, I'm just scrolling here. It's a it's a big list. I'm going to try and get to as many as I can. <laughs> wow, I've just seen one of the... Uh, it's not a question. It's just a statement. And... Um, they put the text so small when you're looking at the responses. CJEUK, that is the username, who left this comment and said, Yannick, your action is higher than Snoop Dogg. Well, he's pretty high most of the time, so I've heard, rumor has it. So, yes, yeah, it's pretty high. Um, I did post something earlier on Instagram, like, yes, uh, for all those people who are asking, I have not lowered the action at all on the new base. It's... It, it's actually higher than on the five string. The four string is is higher than on the on the five string. I'm not going to play it right now because I want to get to as many of these questions as I can. Let's go. If I can, wow, I, I didn't do this right. Drinking bubbles while I'm trying to talk. But here we go. Um, uh, let's see. I wonder. Hmm. Okay. So people who had long questions, maybe they get chopped off. Um. Anyway, uh, this one's from Luis Mendez. Hi, Yannick. I was thinking about how to stay motivated uh, if every day you hear or see something new. Yeah, that's it. That's, I don't know about if I don't know whether that affects my motivation if I'm hearing or seeing something new every day. I think the fact that we do hear and see new, or can, I don't say we all do, but we can tap in, we can mainline information. We can freebase YouTube all day long if we want and stream music on uh, on Spotify and Apple Music. So we can hear and see new stuff every day. I don't think that affects my motivation so much if I do that. Uh, but it does affect, and I've talked about this actually quite a bit on the podcast lately, um, the, the attention span and the patience and the responsibility to actually do some work and not to get distracted so i would see that as more of a problem of getting distracted rather than not being motivated i think seeing new stuff is is is, is actually quite motivating if it's if it's good new stuff um uh i'm you know what i'm gonna i'm not gonna read out all the names on this because for the most part they have really long handles and the text is so small i actually just can't see it and i have my contact lenses in and this is just a, a bit of an instagram fail but um Somebody said, I want to study with you. Is it possible on Skype? No, I recently put up a few Skype lessons for sale. But I do five or ten or something. It was a very small number because it is it's kind of taxing on the brain. It was really rewarding because there were some great students. I did have a really good time doing but it was just super taxing on the brain. And f for it to be worth the hours that I have to put into it, I have to charge a lot of money. Um, there's, there's no kind of polite way of saying that. For, so for it to be worth my while... Um, a significant amount of money has to be changing hands, and it's just—it's just not. I don't—I don't think it's actually 
the, the best way to do it, to be honest, on, on Skype. I've, I've had fun doing it here and there, and I think the students have got a, a lot out of it from, from the feedback I, I have. But the reason I have com is so that you can kind of take your time and digest the information at your own rate. Um, so if you want to study, if you want to check out kind of my concepts, if, if you're not into buying the books for whatever reason and you want to kind of have a little bit more of a audio and visual thing going on, there's yannickspacestudio.com. And if you buy the ebooks, there is there is also video with those. So th- there are ways to study with me, uh, but just one-on-one is not one of them. Um, okay, how do you approach covering a pop song like Day Tripper in your own style without losing the essence of it? Um, it's a good question. I tell you what, it's not something I've done a lot of in my own music let's throw that out there as off the top of my head i think i've i think i've released two covers in nine albums i, I think that sounds about right i did a cover of little dragons twice uh with doug womble on vocals and jojo mayer odin varg um and i did that that um that day tripper reharm now the day tripper reharm came about because i was at gerald veasley's bass camp is that what it's called? Joe Beasley's Base Camp or Base Boot Camp or something like that. It's in Reading, uh, Pennsylvania. I was a guest teacher there for a couple of days uh, a few years ago. And what I wasn't aware of was that all the teachers had to perform at the, kind of the, the the little concert at the end of the week. And may, maybe I'd missed that or something. But anyway, it was kind of dropped on me uh, a couple of hours before, before the show. So I had nothing prepared. Um, and for some reason, I didn't want to play one of my own tunes. I don't know why. Actually, I really can't remember why I ended up choosing Day Tripper. It's not a tune I listen to particularly often. It just kind of popped into my head. And I just sat there listening to the song over and over in the in the hotel room um, and then until, until I could sing the melody. And then I picked out the melody on my instrument and then added uh, bass notes to it and started to kind of define a form. And, and try and find something that I could do on my own with the looper, you know, to put those chords in first and then play the melody and then play solo over it. Um, there's a video of that. Maybe I should post it, of that actual performance at, at Joel Veasley's camp. So maybe someone posted it. While I'm having thoughts, I will search online and see, uh, and see if that's out there. I will check the tube. Um, but it's really about serving the melody um and, and as long as i keep the integrity of the melody uh the reharms kind of follow and and there's no real um rhyme or reason uh to it there's no formula that i that i follow every single time that's the same i just really like the you know i, I like picking out the melody and i like um i like the challenge of reharming and 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 finding new directions and telling a new story with that melody with like you said without losing the integrity of it as long as you don't lose the integrity of the of the melody i think it's i think it's awesome um uh okay uh next question hi yannick what do you make hang on maybe english not first language here let me figure out what this question is what do you make a living now or i guess that should be how do you make a living now how do you split your revenues you know what i posted a YouTube video on that. If you go to my vlog, um, okay, I can't find the Joel Veasley performance, but I do have a video of that, so maybe I will post that on YouTube. That is something for um, 
that's something to to think about okay so let's see i posted a vlog episode it is episode number 338 i posted it on august 25th of this year 2018 and it's entitled how i make uh, how to make a living as a musician my revenue streams explain so that video kind of takes care of that so if you want to um, know all about what it is I kind of do for a living right now um, I mean it's not not very complicated I'm a bass player I perform as a as a solo artist as a band leader sometimes as a sideman not very often uh, I write books I have Yannick's bass studio um, I do you know a whole a whole bunch of different things there are a lot of revenue streams you could look at the podcast for instance as a revenue stream because it's a way to engage an audience and you know sometimes it comes up you know like we got black friday and and cyber monday coming up I'll, I'll run a sale on the store and i'll mention it in the podcast so that's could be could be classed as another revenue stream the vlog as well it's it's all about engaging an audience creating content connecting with people um you know finding issues that uh that we all have in common and then trying to find solutions for them that that we all that the people can connect connect with and relate to so that's kind of what I do for a living. Um, what are the best methods for learning a song by ear? I have so much trouble with that. Well, you just have to start. That's that's the most important thing. Um, and start simple. And I think, you know, you got to ask yourself what exactly it is you're having trouble with. Is it the relationship of, you know, you can hear the note and you can sing the note, but maybe you can't connect that to where it is on the instrument. So maybe you need to work a little more on on the real fundamentals, on the very, very basic stuff. You know, if you're going in there and trying to, you know, learn a Steely Dan song by ear, if you're trying to learn every part of Peg or something or, or whatever it is by ear, this might not be the, the starting place if your ear's not, not tuned up yet. You're not going to run a marathon without training for it first. So you're going to start slow. Maybe you're going to set a goal of, okay, I want to run 5K. I want to run three miles first, not 26.2. And then you're going to set your training program accordingly. You know, you're going to try and run a few times a week. You're not going to try and push too hard. You're going to try and get some consistency, some muscle memory, some basic muscle when you're, when you're running. And that's no different with music. Um, I don't know whether you're talking about a song in terms of pop music, rock music, metal, jazz, or whatever it is, if you're talking about, you know, picking out just root motions would be a good start. You know, if you're talking about the basics of any kind of song, you know, if I'm trying to learn something by, you know, Animals as Leaders or by, you know, Miles Davis from the late 50s, it kind of, the, the concept is quite similar. I'll, I'll pick out root motions and, 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 you know, once your ear is trained to pick out the root motion, especially as, as a bass player, maybe you who asked the question, maybe you're a bass player as well. So this is kind of one of our fundamental jobs is to be able to hear harmony moving from a, from a root um, standpoint for the most part. And just to be able to hear the bottom of the chord, um, I would say that's a great place to start. And then slowly building the third and the fifth. And what quality is the third? Is that major? Is that minor? Is there some sort of tension in there? Is there a seven, a natural or a flat seven? Is there a flat five? Um, and, and slowly start building up the chord from the ground up. And then you'll get a sense of, of harmony and, and where the harmony is moving. And is this a pop song where it's moving kind of with the one, four, five, and six chord as it's kind of 
foundation as so many songs are um, or is it a little bit more uh, jazz harmony where there are a lot of two five one uh, progressions as soon as you can start hearing a two to a five to a one you're going to notice that popping out in all kinds of music pop music as well not just jazz so it's really about building from the fundamentals i think and you have to ask yourself what exactly it is you're having trouble with and focus in on that you know once you make mistakes when you're doing it you know exactly what you have to work on uh, let's see. How do you get okay? How do you get into playing more interesting solo ideas rather than playing the chart? I'm not sure what you mean by playing the chart. Um, maybe, maybe you're not loose enough with the changes, and you're just looking at the chart and and you know coming at it from a completely theory based standpoint by looking at the chord symbols and knowing there's a scale you can play with that chord, and that forms the basis of your solo. Uh, that could not be more different from from the way I approach it. Everything is uh, number one by ear uh, because it's it's about language. It's not about theory. I really do not recommend approaching learning to improvise from a theoretical standpoint. You know, knowing that this chord scale goes with this chord is sort of useless in the moment. Um, you know, I come at it from a standpoint of, okay, if you if English is your first language, like it is mine, and you can just replace the language, whatever your first language is, but if English is your first language, like mine is, if I wanted to learn to speak Russian, for instance, uh, the absolute best way of learning to do that is to be surrounded by people who speak Russian. Um, you know, maybe that's by living in Brighton Beach in New York, or maybe that's actually going to Russia and, and being surrounded by those people. Um, and I think that's often overlooked when it comes to music because there is so much theory out there. You know, there's, there are so many university courses you can take and so many people making videos about jazz harmony and, uh, you know, um, I, I think the, 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 the fundamentals of, of what it is to communicate with music in real time get completely lost when you put all of these extra links in the chain you know if you imagine the musical idea on one end of your chain and the performance on the other so your brain is hopefully having this musical idea and and you're trying to perform it on your instrument or with your voice as quickly as possible so the more links you put in the chain between those two points between those two items are uh, to me the worse the performance is going to be and, and the more stunted and the more laborious. And you want those two things as close together. You actually want those two things attached to each other, I think. It, it should be simultaneous that you have the musical idea and you execute it right away. Now, are we all born with that uh, quality, with that ability to do that right away? Of course not. We have to train that. And like I said, if I wanted to learn Russian, the best place, best thing I could do would be to go to Russia and be surrounded by people and learn the mannerisms and the accent and, you know, what it feels like, what it sounds like, the dialects, uh, all of those kind of things. Now, with music, it's obviously so much easier for us to do that because we can immerse ourselves in the sound of the music it is we want to play now. If that's improvised music in un under the very large um, jazz umbrella, then this is quite straightforward, you know. Take music you love and listen to it all day long sing along to those solos it's about the time and the sound and the phrasing 
and how those ideas are put together. And when you listen to the masters of that particular genre of music or any genre of music, if I wanted to play, you know, merengue, I would listen to merengue from the moment I woke up in the morning until the moment I went to sleep at night if I was that curious about it and if my curiosity was driving the process, which I think is very important. Um, that is when you're going to learn. That's when you're going to be completely okay with putting in the work and and there will never be too much work. You'll never say, oh, this is too much because you'll always want to want to work hard and, and learn more. So I think it's a really important balance to strike. Um, the, 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 the basics of immersing yourself in the style of music it is you want to play and then making sure that music is inspiring to you because the more inspiring the music is to you, the more you're going to retain, the more information you're going to retain, the more vocabulary you're going to learn. For me, the method was transcribing that information, writing that stuff down. Um, some music theory is, is sort of required there if you want to notate the ideas and the, and the rhythms and the notes and the chord changes and all that kind of stuff, but the actual performance should not be theory driven. You should not be thinking about, oh, well, the cycle of fifths this and the two five one there and the flat nine or the sharp nine. Oh, what, what, what is an altered scale? You shouldn't be thinking about any of those things when you perform. It should be really natural and the way it's going to get natural, the way it's going to become natural for you when you're playing is by just being immersed in that all the time and listening, 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 singing along and transcribing and spending extraordinary amounts of time. I think it's really <laughs> overlooked just how much time you have to spend with your instrument. I cannot iterate this, you know, enough. Like it's it's really a lot of work. I don't think people understand that. I hear this question so many times over and over and over again. What's the key? What's the trick? What's the hack? What's the shortcut? There is no shortcut. It is all about Spending the time. This may sound a little strong. This may sound borderline psychotic. Trust me, it is. It should be strong. You know? It should be like Navy SEAL training. It should be like lying in the surf for an hour and then getting up and doing jumping a thousand jumping jacks on the beach. And it, it, it should be far from easy. It should be a lot of work. And it, because it's when you're doing that work you have 10,000 hours or whatever it is, you know. Uh, my buddy Mike Bryan did a commercial for Selinko Strings. We were taking a veering off into tennis. Now, it just popped up in my feed, and he, like, quotes in that, in that commercial. He says, they say that you need 10,000 hours to perfect something. And he says, I like to think that's just a nice start. I could not agree more with him. 10,000 hours is the tip of the iceberg. I'm, I'm going to be 40 years old in one, two, three days, have I haven't even scratched the surface, like not even close. It, so, yeah, if you're 17, 18, 25, 35, get ready because uh, there's still a really long way to go and it, it never ends. And I don't want to sound all doomy and gloomy at all. I just want to, you know, highlight the fact that there is no shortcut. None of these like bullshit, the one scale you need to know, like the only dominant lick you'll ever need to play it. No, this is all utter bullshit. This is pulling the wool over your eyes for clicks and for likes and for subscribes. So get ready because today's like YouTube culture is not what it takes 
to become a good musician and to improve your improvising and to improve your language skills as a musician or your time or your sound or your vocabulary or your phrasing or any of these things that are essential to be proficient, not even to be great at what you do as a musician in, in, in any style. You know, I mentioned animals as leaders earlier on. You think Tosin Abassi is like just chilling out? No, this guy is practicing. He's working on things. He's developing ideas. He's in an internationally, globally successful band who sell out thousands of tickets every night, you know? And he's an incredible guitar player and has something original to say on his instrument. Like, he's like, got over so many of the hurdles that we all face as musicians to, to, to even start making it. Yet he's still working, you know, on his craft. And you know, John Patitucci practices, you know, John, I don't know how old John is actually. Let's get a, let's get a wiki, uh, wiki estimate on John's age here. He, John is 58 years old. He was born December 22nd, 1959, according to uh, Wikipedia here. He practices maybe more than most bass players I know. Definitely more than me. He's 18 years older than I am. He's more successful than I'm ever going to be. You know, he's an absolute legend of the music and he's still working it out. And he's still inspired by by things that he that he sees and hears on a on a regular basis. I'm sure. I mean, I've just, he he didn't he didn't t tell me that, but I, the conversations we've had, I know he practices a lot, and I just I hear it in his playing. I don't need him to tell me that. I hear his playing evolve. I hear his sound evolve. You listen to his records, you know. Okay, so much for answering a ton of questions because that one really got me there for a second, and um, yeah. Maybe that <laughs> somebody else asked, can you talk about getting over the hump and you're practicing? Yep, I think I just covered that. Uh, gig stories, can you tell lots of them? I can tell some gig stories. Um, <laughs> um, okay, uh, somebody here is asking, I'd love to hear more about your days as a session bassist slash band leader. Maybe that means musical director. I think of band leader as my thing. Maybe you're talking about being a musical director. Um, it's been a while, that's for sure. I spent like a solid 10, 12 years doing that and ultimately decided it was not what I wanted to do. It was not what I aspire to do. I am, I don't have that gene. Like, you know, there are some people who are just amazing at it. You know, you're like, look at a, a Lee Sklar, for instance, is like uh, Will Lee. Um, and Will is also a band leader as well. Like Will, has, and he has the Beatles thing, and he does other stuff besides just being—I say just—besides <laughs> being in the studio and being incredibly creative and great as a sideman, he does other stuff like outside of that realm. Uh, Lee Sklar, a little less so. Although someone was telling me that he's working with a singer right now, which may be kind of a dual-led project. I have to research that a little bit more. But I th when I think of Lee Sklar, I think, you know, like huge Phil Collins tours or just amazing, like, you know, James Taylor, just a, an unbelievable discography. Um, so that I just realized I didn't, that wasn't my thing. Um, I'm glad I figured it out uh, when I did, maybe eight, seven, eight years ago, something like that. And really 
sort of concentrated on writing my own music and releasing it and touring as a band leader when I wanted to go on the road and then working as a sideman once in a while but definitely not in a pop sense you know I'm I, I don't want to get a call that says hey there's a new artist on Sony Records and we want you to be the musical director and here are the stems from the album and can you create the show like I've done a lot of that stuff before where I get you know the stems if, if anyone doesn't know what that means that just means like the basic basic tracks from the album like the multi-track and then putting that into some sort of playback device now it's all uh, pretty much digital I'm sure um, I was kind of on the end of the more analog stuff like the ADAP machines using that to play back as the multi-track because laptops weren't as solid I don't think and solid state drives weren't really a thing in like 2010 like the last big tour I did so needed something a little more stable so I would do a lot of that arranging the music and preparing the tour from a musical standpoint in terms of the backing tracks especially if you're working with a, a newer artist and there's not a huge budget you're not going to be able to hire like a, a nine-piece band to go on the road and you know sing backgrounds and play horns and do all this kind of two keyboard players two guitar players the stuff that might have been on the album um, so you end up putting a lot of that stuff in the backing tracks and taking kind of a shell of a band on the road maybe just three piece like the last tour big tour I did was just guitar bass and drums and then everything else was in the was in the track so that that was a large part of being a musical director um, and I, I did that extensively over over like that 10 12 years of doing that kind of touring um, and then the session thing yeah I mean I did any kind of studio or session career that I had which was not big at all um, you know maybe I played on a hundred dates or something over the course of 10 years not really you know 100 dates Jesus what is it um, Larry Cartner played on thousands of records by 1978 I mean it's like so when you look at it in the grand scheme of things I think Lee Sklar's played on 15 on 2003 I don't know it's a lot of records so my kind of quote-unquote session career was microscopic in comparison to the people I really think of as you know, full-time studio musicians, the Lee Slars, the Nathan East, the Sean Hurley's, the Carvey Rastigars, uh, the Bob Glob, like th that kind of scene, Will Lee, you know, Anthony Jackson, those kind of cats. Um, but that was, that happened mainly in New York for me. I will say that between London and New York and then uh, going out to do records in like Texas and a couple of things in Europe, Spain, France, you know, traveling a little bit to record. But then, I do remember when I was traveling more, it was, I'm going to say less as, but not just as a bass player, but as a producer as well. And I, I really dug that, you know, I dug that extra, I mean, I dug the extra element of getting paid, you know, for real on some longer lasting money, some longer money, not the short money of just doing the session and, and getting out. Um, so I definitely appreciated that. And I, I did start producing from an, from a, from an early age as well. I really was intrigued by mics and preamps and songs and and how to get the best performance out of a vocalist and like all of those challenges it was I wanted to do more of that um, and, and I tried a lot and that was that was really really a lot of fun and I probably produced 15 20 records over the course of uh, of that time in New York a lot of jazz stuff some singer songwriter things some more poppy things uh, jingles commercials that kind of stuff um, so I, it was it was small in terms of the career when you compare it to the to the real big boys um, and girls. Holy cow! Carol Kay is like one of my one of my favorite bass players, and 
she played on a ton of records and was a guitar player before switched to bass like when i think about those real legends it, it really was small but it was it was quite varied and i you know i was very curious about a lot of things and a lot of styles and love to write for strings for instance so anytime i got a chance to to do a string session for an album that was that was great when whenever somebody trusted me to do do some arranging and bring a section in and you know put up with my awful conducting in the room in front of these you know classically trained players so it was it was small kind of short-lived I haven't really done much studio stuff in in the past few years on a a commercial level Um, but it was really interesting it was really varied and it taught me a lot about just just the process and that has really helped me producing my own records and working on projects and and just being better in the studio um, so it wasn't the 5,000 album strong uh, stint, but it definitely helped a lot. And uh, I think no matter how how much volume you can do in terms of the recording, like anything you can do like that really helps. Um, let's see, more questions here, because we've got tons more. Uh, how to deal with nerves in high-pressure gigs like when you played with Pat Metheny? Well, I'm a bit freakish like that. I need some liquid, sorry. Um, I've never really suffered from nerves at all just because I, I love what I do so much. So anytime I get a chance to to do it, I just jump at it. I'm like so ready to go. I've been doing it for so long. Like even in the beginning, I'd put so many hundreds, if not thousands of hours in before I even got to the States and started getting these opportunities. that I was just really ready for it. I was prepared. I think maybe if you're suffering a little anxiety or a little nerves, that could be from knowing that you're perhaps not as prepared as you'd like to be. Uh, so maybe that could be great motivation for putting in the work and for uh, and for just working a little bit harder and knowing that, hey, you, you really might only get one shot at some point. <laughs> you know, you do get those kind of lucky big breaks uh, that occur and you've got to be ready for it, I think. Um, yeah, I think that's probably the best advice I can give there. How does the new bass work? That is a very strange question like every other bass it plays as well as you play it um do you miss anything about daily vlogging uh oh yeah i think i miss the like the regular kind of camaraderie and you know back and forth with all you guys with the coffee drinkers um but it was such an like an unbelievable workload that i appreciate being able to sleep a few more hours a night and and have a life and, you know, enjoy my engagement to Chelsea and just, uh, you know, just do other stuff, have a life and, and, and kind of work hard. So, uh, oh, John Davis, when can we play some duo gigs? That's a great question, my man. Soon, I hope. Um, who swings the most for you and why? Ooh, that list is just way too long. And I'll tell you the why. That's way easier. Like if you take a bass player like Christopher Thomas or Reginald Veal, again, I, I sound like a broken record, but it really comes down to the time and the sound. And and people swing in different ways as well. You know, like listen to John, for instance, Patatucci, uh, you know, between the electric and the acoustic bass. That's, that's one guy who swings in kind of two different ways with the two instruments, let alone being uh, master of each of them. And then, like I said, Reggie Veal, Christopher Thomas, Rodney Whittaker, Christian McBride, 
Um, I think Christian McBride has some sort of like base, upright base course out there, video course, something like that, some lessons somewhere. And there was a two-minute video that popped up on YouTube or somewhere, Facebook, something, I don't know, it was an ad, and he was just swinging It was for two minutes and talking over the top of it. It was just the coolest, most swinging thing. Like my buddy Orlando LaFleming, uh, English bass player, lives in New York, plays with all the cats. They're just... So I've already mentioned, <laughs> without thinking about it, a bunch of cats, you know, Ray Brown, Oscar Pettiford, Slam Stewart, Leroy Vinegar. I mean, it's just an endless list of players, uh, old and new, and it's really about the time and the sound and the attack, the the history, the note choice. It's so many things that go into that about, you know, and that's just talking about bass. You know, go listen to Michael Brecker and Joey Calderazzo again from the beginning of this podcast, where, you know, especially that piano stuff where Joey's playing eighth notes and just swinging so hard. Like, get inside that. That that should answer the question. You know, that's an example of something I really like. So listen to that. That should really, really answer your question. Um, uh, how would you recommend a guitar player approach your books and courses? Well, aside from the, you know, basic fundamental differences of the function of the instrument on a certain level, uh, no differently, I wouldn't think, you know, in terms of technique and finger position. And, you know, for any guitar players out there, there are, you know, there there, there are, number one, there are of the Ultimate Chop Builder series, there are dedicated guitar books that you can get at Amazon and at, and at my uh, my website. And then there are treble clef um, appendixes shall we say, in uh, all the good stuff, all the better stuff, and chordal harmony. Um, so I, it's all the same 12 notes at the end of the day. Um, you know, perhaps some of the voicings on, uh, you know, on the bass are gonna be obviously going to be different for the guitar, but in terms of the linear ideas, the exercise, the approach, the concept, the repetition, the focus on sound and time, those are those are all the same. It's I always say I'm I'm a musician who just happens to play the bass. And that is that's very that is a very accurate description of who I am and what I do. The music comes first. Um so guitar or bass, flute, mandolin, it shouldn't really matter. Um, okay. Uh how do you get that wonderful sound in the beginning of stray voltage on Bob Reynolds quartet? Okay. Um well, thank you very much for thinking that it's a wonderful sound. It's uh, it's a combination of things. Um, it's using a slide. Uh, I was also using the Iron Ether Frant a bit. I was using the Boss PS5 Super Shifter uh, up the double octave, and I was using a lot of reverb, big, uh, big like cathedral reverb, kind of maxed all the way out. And most importantly, at least I think it's most important, I was using a volume pedal to swell that in and to have some sort of control over how much I pushed the reverb um, so that's that's the basic basic concept of making that sound if anyone wants to check that out you can go to Bob Reynolds YouTube channel where he has a series of videos um, when we were recording the album we filmed we filmed video for each song and that um, that particular track is called Stray Voltage um, do you have tips on key bass keyboard bass specifically how to get that low 808 sound. Uh, so many ways of doing it. I mean, I, I've been liking the Juno uh, more lately, but then the the Nord Electro, 
uh, oh, what am I talking about? The Nord Lead, rather. Nord Lead rack with a, with a controller. So many ways of doing it. And there's so many people making plugins for all of that stuff. Like, the, the more people I see is like, it's kind of software based. And of course, you know, a lot of the Moog stuff, the little fatty, um, is a, is a good way. I don't have one of those actually. They'll probably be coming up soon in terms of a piece of gear that I actually want to buy. I haven't really bought gear in a long time, but that would be, that would be something. Um, let's see. Do you ever play the Federa anymore? It seems like you play everything but the Federa. That is, that's a pretty accurate, accurate description of what I do. I, I mainly play the Matheson basses. Um, sprinkle a little Fender in there and uh, uh, the uh, the Goya, um, the Mustang, the Fender, the Music Master, little Mayones once in a while. But mainly it's the Matheson basses. For, for my music, anyway. Um, when are the Matheson bases coming out? There you go. That's a good good question to come right after it. Uh, January, the Winter Nam show. I think that's like the third week of January this year. Um, uh, will you be offering Skype lessons again? No, we've already talked about that. Um, somebody else asking about the revenue streams thing. See the previous answer. Um, Matheson signature base. A lot of questions about the bases. Um, what job or jobs did you work when you were starting out as a musician? I didn't, actually. I've never never had a job outside of music. Um, I, I definitely didn't have any. You know, I wasn't uh, flipping burgers or delivering pizzas or working at Starbucks, anything like that. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with those jobs at all. If you got to do them, you got to do them. And uh, whatever way you you can you can get it done and and stay on course that's that's what you got to do uh for me i i chose i chose not to do a day day gig day job steady job with a with a check at the end of the week and i also chose not to do weddings and you know uh you know uh, bar mitzvahs or whatever just like uh gb what do you call it? function gigs that kind of thing gb general business that's some boston that's some Berkeley circa, well, I was there 98, but everyone who went there did, uh, had some sort of GB gig experience, basically, corporate gigs. Um, and I, I chose not to do them. I think I've played two weddings in my life. Uh, and as a result of that, there was, you know, lack of food in the fridge, for sure. Uh, lower quality of basic life uh, essentials on, you know, in the early days. Um and this is by no means a woe is me. And I'm also by no means saying do what I did. Um, you know, if, if my kids were thinking about doing that, I'd probably, if they, they needed to make the bread, tell them to get a job, you know, um, if they were serious about the music. But at the time, that was that was what I did. That was my choice. Um, I did suffer as a result of it. Uh, burnt up some credit cards for a while and just uh, not, you know, maybe not the healthiest approach looking back on it now, but I'm still here and things, you know, not going so badly right now. So it, it, it kind of worked out, but yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't work any jobs. Um, when am I playing in Denmark? Not sure. I was just there for a few days, but no playing. I went to see Chelsea play. She played great. I was a very, very happy, uh, happy bass fiance boyfriend soon to be husband whatever in the audience it was uh that was a lot of fun um what do you look for in a drama time of sound <laughs> you're gonna hear that a lot 
it doesn't matter drummer musician it, it, it originality um once you get past the basic you know time sound can the person play can he or she do a great job um you know it, it depends i you have to you, i think you have to make that kind of specific a little more specific in terms of context because you know it could be a six-month tour and then in that case i'm looking for somebody who washes on a daily basis and you know has some tour bus etiquette and is professional shows up on time isn't a drag to be around oh this laquire is getting me through this very long podcast um but yeah it's uh that's a tough one tough one to answer because there's no there's not oh it's these three things especially it's always time and sound and it's always some sort of social and human element where I want to be around that person. Th- those are the things I'm looking for in, in any musician, drummer or otherwise. Um, did you ever do grip exercises to adjust the action uh, on my bass, I guess? Or did the finger strength come naturally? No, I ran my routine um, over and over and over again for, you know, the action change, the raising the action change probably took two years. So I'd, you know, turn the, you know, I've told this story before. I turned the the bridge like a quarter turn on each screw, raise the action up a little bit and practice for two months. And when you do it incrementally like that and do it with in, in small leaps uh, and you run through your practice routine and you do everything relaxed and don't force the issue, then you get the, you get the strength. The strength comes out. And uh, as long as you're consistent with it, I think that was the key to really do do it consistently and to be really paying attention to what was going on. Not just, oh, yeah, I'll just wind up the action and uh, give me a couple of months and I got it. No, it was like, okay, I need to space this out. I need to really spend some time on this if I want to produce a great sound and not injure myself in the process. Um, okay. Wow, this is kind of a dark one. When do you know it's time to give up on music as a career? Well, that's a it's a tough question to be asking yourself, number one. Uh, and I guess it's even tougher to be honest with the answer. But you have to be honest with the answer. And you have to ask yourself, how much do you really want it? And what are you prepared to go through in order to leave it on the table as an option before you just say, okay, that's it. It didn't work out and I'm moving on to the next thing. You know, if you're my age and you still haven't got a gig, uh, perhaps you might want to look at something else to do. But if you're young and if you, you know, early, mid 20s, 30, even, I don't know. It's it's all personal. It's There's no cutoff point. You could be 70 and, and decide, OK, you know what? This is what I want to do. And and I still want to do it. And I've worked all this time and I'm, I'm determined. Um. But be around, you know, put yourself around the right people. Go go out. You know, I don't think if you're really serious about it and you have curiosity and you have passion for what you do, I it's not it's not brain surgery in terms of what you have to do to make it happen. You know, you have to put in a lot of work, hopefully find some Find some guidance, you know, from people you trust. Go out and meet people. Go to live concerts. You know, be in the scene. Start creating a scene. You know, so many. There are so many layers to it. There are so many uh, goals you can set yourself, and there are so many routes to those goals. Uh, 
and they don't have to conform to something you've seen on MTV or something you've seen on YouTube. MTV you know, is a little, a little outdated as a reference, but yeah, it, it, these things don't have to conform to something you've seen on Instagram, for instance, that you know raise your perception of what is expected, you know, beyond reality. You know, I pretty much everyone. The, the whole influencer thing and like the the plasticness the fakeness of instagram and and just so the the, the kind of a little bit the downfall of social media in general is just people making their lives look way better than they actually are on those platforms rather than being like well today i'm in my sweatpants and i'm playing the same damn lick you know i'm just <laughs> thinking about what i've posted in the past uh, couple of weeks on instagram and i'm Posting the same damn lick in my sweatpants that I've been working on for the last year. I don't know. Um, there's not too much glamour in that. Uh, so so don't get put off. Don't get discouraged by maybe the perception of what it takes not being based that much in reality. Because of the way that information is fed to you online and what you see on a, on a daily basis. And it's, it's pretty simple. Ask yourself the question. Be really honest with the answer. Okay. Wow. Inspired by your earlier Insta story. Here we go. Straight to social media. Could you record a whole solo album on four string? Uh, yeah. I don't see why not. This new bass sounds amazing. I mean, there are certain voicings I might miss, I guess. I don't know. But it would... It would definitely make for an interesting. It would definitely make my note choice maybe a little different. And it would be really interesting to see where I could take that. You know, see if I could put some. Put some stuff like that together. Uh, some, see what that would feel like. Uh, well, here we go. <laughs> Maybe this is the start of it right now. too much now but I'm kind of searching for something definitely trying to figure out what the range possibilities are Thank you. 
I'd like to get away from those three chords. This is more like a practice routine thing, but I don't see why not. Um, uh, uh, it would it would really take some it would take some readjustment. Uh, you know, my instincts would be a little different. Um, That was something I was working on in a podcast from a few days ago on the five string and something like that. It sounds like it translates pretty well to the four. So I don't see why not. That's a, it's an interesting idea. Uh, perhaps I would maybe not say, okay, I'm going to restrict myself completely to one instrument to do the whole album. Uh, but maybe it, it would be a nice color. I, I really do like the sound of this. I mean, it's such a beautiful sound with a maple neck and the P pickups. Um, and the four string and having the 26 frets gives me a little bit of extra range. You know, the concept when Anders and I first started talking about making a signature bass, it wasn't necessarily the five string with the single cut that was the focus. It was like, how can we do something different? We talked about initially about the pickup configuration with the triple P, you know, the P and then the reverse P. And I really wanted to play a four string. I wanted that smaller neck, a shorter scale than a regular Fender. So this is 33, not a 34 or 35, anything like that. It's a 33. And I wanted to put like tons of frets on it, like maybe 32 frets to get the range of a five string, but play on a four string. Now the 32 fret thing was a little bit crazy. Even 28 frets like I have on the five was a little bit much, but 26 frets on a four string bass seems to be a really cool point at least for the stuff i do and for what i was looking for and what anders and i discussed in in making this bass and in terms of the quality he's just knocked it out of the park it just feels and sounds amazing so i don't think i could have done it on a four string before like a regular fender or something with a high e flat you know this goes all the way up to an a um so so maybe now that that would that will make be more of an option when it comes to comes to playing solo on my own records um geez we're going on almost an hour here with this podcast um <laughs> wow um somebody just wrote it here truly love the podcast is it difficult to talk for an hour alone well apparently not um especially not with questions i don't know if i could have done an hour on i don't know i've done an hour before yeah, it's easy. For me it is cuz the brain it just it just keeps going. And it going and going and going and it's, it's like improvising. It's like when I'm playing music, it's just here and then okay, let's go over there and or that's enough of that. That's enough repetition, so let's change and let's go over there and it's obviously it's great when I have a guest and I'm bummed it didn't work out with with uh, Gabriel today, but we'll we'll get that happening. But yeah, doing an hour, apparently not a problem. Um what are some of your non-music sources of inspiration? Um, Stand-up comedy. Such a huge fan. You know, Wh whoever it is. You know, like, uh, I've been listening a little bit of, um, you know, initially we're talking like Billy Connolly, uh, Jerry Seinfeld, um, this, this kind of scene. Uh, lately it's been a little more kind of Bill Burr, uh, a little Burt Kreischer. I mean, I listen to the Joe Rogan podcast sometimes and those guys were doing that Sober October thing. That's how I kind of got into Burt Kreischer and um, 
Tom Segura and those those guys. Uh, and then Bill Burr is a drama, apparently. Him and Benny Greb are friends. Benny was telling me about this. And uh, that would be interesting. I'd love to talk to Bill Burr about that, about some of the, you know, because I, I for years I couldn't sleep at night unless I went to, unless I put headphones in and put stand-up comedy on. And that was how I would fall asleep. But for years and years and years, that you know, now not so much anymore but I definitely listen to a lot of it um, and it's, it's great on drives you know, I listen to podcasts especially podcasts by comedians so I'm, I'm way into that and I'm fascinated by how they get their sets together and then the different kinds of comedians comedians who go out there like Russ Noble for instance who it feels like most of if not all of the set sometimes is completely improvised that's crazy that's someone who's got like a a two-hour show and he literally walks on stage with nothing like an ask a, a member of the audience a question and boom you know Dara O'Brien is like that as well the the Irish comedian he definitely has bits that he does but there's a big improvised element to it as well so I'm fascinated by both sides of it they're completely prepared or for, for the most part prepared you know I listen to a lot of these comedians discuss that um, you know like a Chris Rock or a Eddie Murphy, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, Louis C.K., like these, Bill Burr, Joe Rogan, these kind of comedians who who really work an hour up. And they, but they work on the, you know, they want to get that hour together, but they and they go and do sets, and they do five minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, drop in here and there at these comedy clubs and then do tons of sets on tour before they go take their one-hour special, like making the album. Like, I wish I could do that, like tour the music for like six months and then make the special. That would be, that's the way around. We, should, we shouldn't be making a record and then going on the road. But then if you go on the road without anything to sell, you're kind of missing a big chunk of change right there. So you've got to figure that out. you got to kind of maybe do a tour and then sell a pre-sale on the road. I don't know. It'd be tough walking away from a gig with a promise of an album at some point <laughs> as, a, as a customer. I don't know how that would fly, but... Yeah, I like I like the way they do it I like that. It's a fascinating thing. So it'd be great to talk to you know, Bill Burr about that. I know he plays massive. He plays Madison Square Garden, Boston Garden. These are huge venues. And we'll go in, or like the Forum in LA. I heard that they they played music like the whole day, you know, because they rent the Forum and it's just him and a microphone. So it's, they went in there the whole day with a bunch of musicians and just rocked out for like five or six hours because they're music nerds like like me like all of us and they wanted to play at the los angeles forum this legendary venue so they got to do it you know i guess in front of like the cast and crew and wives and family or something <laughs> what a barn must have been huge to play that place with nobody in it but just cool you know so i want to talk about i would love to talk to those some of those guys especially bill burr being a drummer that would be great like jam a little with him and talk to him about music and comedy and the parallels so yeah a non-musical thing would be stand-up comedy um kind of into poker i love i like i like playing poker and i love watching poker i like i'm into watches i'm a bit of a watch nerd so i read a lot about that and follow some blogs and some podcasts and once in a while add a watch to the collection so that's kind of a, a thing that's and it's very inspirational actually when i think about like movements and design and aesthetics and the, some of the vintage elements of these watches and the yeah the provenance and patina in the dial all these kind of things you know like that that that's really insp inspirational so 
I think I'm dragging on a little bit here, and I think we're almost out of questions, which is cool. There were there were a lot of doubles. You guys asked a lot of similar questions. So, um, most influential teacher you've ever had? My mom, without a doubt. Um, I was homeschooled. For anyone who doesn't know that, I was my mom taught me and my two sisters at home our entire childhood. So. Um, I was my first teacher and without a doubt my most influential teacher I'm guessing you weren't asking that question from an overall standpoint you're probably asking about a music teacher but it all started there so no one had a bigger influence um, how can you add negative harmony chords into your playing why would you bother are you asking me because you saw the Jacob Collier video That always amazes me. I'd always, I, I always am curious about when people are asking that question, like what their regular chords are like, what their basic understanding of harmony is. I'm not saying whoever asked this question, I'm not saying you you suck <laughs> by by no means at all. I'm just asking, like, why? That's always a, that can be a really good question to ask yourself at the end of the day. Is it why? Like, why am I doing this? Is it because I saw the Jacob Collier video and then the is it the Korean guy who kind of broke it all down and did the interview? Uh, is it because of that? Is it because you actually read the book? Is it because you totally understand the concept of negative harmony? But if you did, then you probably wouldn't be asking the question. So I'm going to guess that maybe it's because you saw the video on YouTube. Who knows? I'm absolutely guessing here. I'm not judging at all. I'm just asking the question, why would you want to? Um, and again it's 12 notes you know like did you get everything you possibly could out of a root note and a melody note because trust me there is a lot of mileage in that you don't have to have a symphony orchestra and 18 tubers and you know 15 marimbas in thirds or so you know you just don't need to have all that shit to be effective as a writer or as an improvising musician or as an artist, you know, it amazes me like how much of that stuff is hype, you know, and how dense a lot of that stuff ends up being for no reason, for like no good reason. It's kind of a dark note to end the podcast on if that's where I leave it. Just falling off a cliff of negative harmony. Um, I don't know. I watched the Jacob Collier video. He seems to truly understand it and operate like that. And you know what? I don't know too... I know a lot of musicians, i got to say. And I don't know too many musicians who operate on that level of theory. Like, just general knowledge of music. I don't know too many people who operate on that level. and But I know a lot of people who got totally hyped about it and all they wanted to talk about was negative harmony for about six months when that video came out. But they didn't do anything with it, you know? It's just, you know, keyboard comments. It's just key <laughs> keyboard heroes, you know? People commenting on YouTube and not really getting it. Seeing the hype getting sucked in and not really having anything to show for it the other side. 
So I always wonder what the when, when I get I and I do get asked about negative harmony quite a bit for I've no idea why I've never talked about it, um, but yeah I you know ask yourself if you've got all the mileage you can out of a simple melody and a simple root motion, you know, and see how creative you can be before you start adding all these other concepts into it. That that would be my advice. Um, gonna go with one more hey let's go with this one this was oh i've scrolled all the way down to the bottom so i think this was the first question that got asked this is a tough one actually advice on handling failure and embarrassment okay um i don't think either of those things should be that negative like the question sounds like oh shit oh, failure and, and negativity embarrassment you know yeah, I, it, I think it's really healthy if you can laugh at yourself. Like, I fuck things up all the time and just kind of, you know, as long as I haven't, like, damaged anyone or done something so stupid it would kind of end my career, you know, as long as it wasn't, like, catastrophic, I don't, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of embarrassment. You know, if you saw the amount of times Chelsea just, like, you know, face-planted her head in her hand, like, you know, you know, cue the faceplant emoji here. As some of the things I say or do, it, I, I can be a little embarrassing sometimes, and and I just kind of laugh at it and try not to take myself too seriously. At the end of the day, I mean, that's probably the best advice I can give you. And on the embarrassment tip, it's probably a good thing to be embarrassed once in a while, um, as long as you sort of take it in your stride and 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 don't get too invested in it and and the failure thing I, I love the failure thing you know again as long as it's not catastrophic you're not like killing anyone or harming people or doing anything like super bad a little bit of failure is essential because you need to know where you where you're at you know where you know what needs work so if i'm practicing and everything it sounds great and oh this is perfect and i've never played better and if all these like if, if all i can give myself are accolades which never happens trust me uh i probably i don't know i'd be kind of wasting my time i think so it, it's great to scuff up and make a mistake and for there to be a little failure there just take it in your stride and know that's the thing that will probably teach you the most you know and if the embarrassment thing is bad so be it that will teach you the most i'm trying to think because i know i've been like embarrassed big time on it have i i'm sad let's see you know, one of the only gigs I've ever been fired from. There you go. I got hired to play a gig when I was young, 17 or something. And it was, oh, you know what? It was one of the only two weddings I think I've ever played. And maybe it was like emotional scar tissue from that night that kind of told me, okay, don't ever do this again because it's it's not worth it. But just, you know, it was a Jewish wedding and like the klezmer element of the wedding was all written out and charted and was you know you know pretty easy and uh, ones and fives roots and fifths and i blew through that it was great because i could read and then it was like a top 40 set in fact there were two and a half three sets or something like that it was like two hours or three hours of playing top 40 music of which i knew zero songs and the person who had got me in on the gig was like oh yeah you'll just hear it <laughs> wish i'd known chelsea there i said no chelsea will hear it and play it like she's been playing it for 30 years that is something she's amazing at i'll be like you going to the gig yeah i'm going to the gig 
You played any of these songs before? Nah, not really. You're just going to hear it? Yeah, I'll just, I'll hear it. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, she's that good. She's scary good at that. So I was not at 17. Um, I'm a little better at it now. Uh, but that was kind of embarrassing, just playing wrong notes for two and a half hours. So, but I learned a lot from that, you know. I learned not to go do wedding gigs, probably. I don't know. Maybe that was part of it. And I learned that I had a lot of work to do on my on my ear and um started listening i hadn't been listening to the radio for a while like a few years i was just listening to jazz and stuff so i started listening to the radio again in the car and, and listening to pop tunes and just hearing basic root motions so it was not great at the time but it did me a lot of good in the long run so i wouldn't worry too much about failure and embarrassment it's a it's a part of life and um don't take yourself too seriously. Take it in your stride. You just know that you're going to come out the other side way stronger than you went in. And you'll be totally fine. Um, this was super long. Questions are good. I don't think I can do that every day. But I remember that you guys were awesome. Stepped up to the plate. Sent me a lot of questions. But that's it. What are we? Episode 11? Is it really 11 already? Wow. Okay. We're knocking them out here. I'm having fun. Um Give me some feedback at Yannick Wisdala on Instagram. Go find a post, leave a comment, let me know what's up. Um, maybe you were one of the people who asked the questions for today's podcast. Awesome. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Appreciate all the coffee drinkers. Guys, girls, ladies, gentlemen, coffee drinker FM. Wir spielen die Hits. <laughs>